Hey, this is Tanner Sherlock. I'm the pastor at Shadow State Chi Alpha. And this is our podcast where our mission is to make disciples who then make disciples. Be sure and subscribe so you can get our content every time we post. And I pray that this message blesses you today. God bless. Imagine that you know absolutely nothing about God. You know absolutely nothing about the Bible. You know absolutely nothing about Jesus. You are a clean slate. You know nothing. You wash up on a stranded island, okay? And on that island, there is a copy of the Bible, a copy of specifically the New Testament. So you are alone on this island, and you have to read what the Bible says. Now picture, based off of what you've read in Scripture, how would you picture a follower of Jesus to act? How would you picture a follower of Jesus to behave? How would, you, how would you expect a follower of Jesus to interact with the world around him, to interact with his friends? How would you expect a follower of Jesus to interact with those who aren't saved? Now, secondary question, do you feel like you've read enough of the Bible to even be able to answer that question? And if the answer is no, I want to encourage you, read the Bible. If you've never read the Bible all the way through, that needs to be your goal for this year is to read the Bible all the way through. By this time next year, read the Bible. <clears throat> you guys can open your eyes. So keep that picture in your mind, what that would look like. Just kind of hold on to it for a little bit. And if your answer was no, that you didn't feel like you've read enough of the Bible to uh, accurately portray what a follower of Jesus would look like, then hold on to that too. So there's a term, it's called hermeneutics, okay? We're going to briefly go into this, but it is an extremely important term. We will talk more on this later on. It's something I like to talk about at least once a year. It's called hermeneutics. Don't worry about memorizing the terms or anything like that. Like I said, we'll talk about later on. But hermeneutics is basically the study and the science of how to accurately study the Bible. So there is a right and a wrong way to read the Bible. Have you ever, how many of you guys have ever been at a Bible study or something? You read a piece of scripture and somebody's like, well, this is what it means to me. And this is what it means to me. And the next person is like, well, this is what it means to me. That can be good and beneficial, but in reality, the Bible, there's a truth behind it. It's not what it feels like to us in that moment. When we read it, there's not a, well, this is what I, I feel when I read this. No, there is a truth written in the lines. And it's hermeneutics is basically the study of how to read the Bible accurately so you can get to the truth and we can ignore our own feelings in it. And so that's where the word eisegesis comes into play and exegesis comes into play. Again, you don't have to worry about these terms. We'll talk about these at a later time, but they are important. So exegesis is reading what is written in scripture and then applying it to our lives. And exegesis is taking a viewpoint and finding and manipulating scripture to say what we want it to say. Exegesis is good. Eisegesis is bad. We don't want to practice eisegesis. So when we come to the Bible with a predisposed position and we try to search and cherry pick what it says in order to make it say what we want it to say, that is eisegesis. That's kind of the, when we go around in the circle and everybody says, this is what it means to me, this is what it means to me. Again, I think there is benefit in that because I think you can get to the bottom of what a piece of scripture is saying by doing that. However, we have to find the bottom of the scripture. And so 
I know this is boring stuff. I'm not trying to lecture you guys or anything like that this week, but these are important terms. And so I wanted to briefly go over them. And they are kind of simple. When you think about it, hermeneutics is how to study the Bible correctly. Exegesis is how to read the Bible or is the, the accurate uh, interpretation of what scripture says in eisegesis is basically us trying to manipulate scripture. But <clears throat> it sounds simple. However, practicing them is extremely difficult. Proper exegesis is really hard to do at times. Hermeneutics makes it easier because there is, if you ever want to learn how to read the Bible, look up hermeneutics. I literally had to take a textbook class on it. It's a thick study. But learning how to read the Bible correctly is extremely important. But the problem is we come into reading the Bible every time we open up the Bible. We have, can you go to the next slide, dude? I'm tired of looking at the cowboy hat on the, (laughs) thank you. Every time we go into the Bible, we are approaching it with our own viewpoint and our own perspective. We're approaching it with our own viewpoints, our own worldview. We're approaching it with our own attitude. If we're having a bad day and a bad attitude and we go and we read the Bible, we're bringing that to the table. We're not just approaching the Bible with a clean slate every time, no matter how hard we try. We're always bringing something with us while we do it. And so performing proper exegesis can be difficult, especially on days that are really bad or really good, because we will bring that into what we're reading. And at the same time, something that is even harder is we bring our own worldview into reading the Bible. Now, the, the problem with that is because of our worldview, our worldview is how we were raised, how we were shown, how our society, how America teaches us the world works. And so we look at things very differently. Different countries look at things completely differently. Um, there was a missionary who came and spoke one time, and uh, he was sharing about a country in Africa. I won't get into the specifics of it. However, in their country, their worldview is that animals and humans can shapeshift. They truly, deeply believe that in this country. And so there was a missing dude who disappeared one day when he was over in the river, and a hippo came up to shore, and one of his articles of clothing was resting on the top of the hippo. And so they deemed him no longer missing, and they deemed him having transformed into a hippo. They truly believe that. Their worldview, so what those people in that country bring to the table, and a lot of it is because of um, their their religion over there, but they bring to the table, so if they go to read the Bible, they're going to look at something completely differently than you are because we don't believe that humans can shapeshift into hippos. And as dumb and small of a thing as that is, that can affect the way that we read the Bible. And I know that's kind of a silly way to put it, but there are other ways that it makes us, especially here in America, it makes us hard, makes it hard for us to interpret the Bible correctly. And so here's an example. I don't have the scripture up there, but it's Matthew 5.39, and it just says, But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Jack, can you come up here? Just stand right there facing me. Back up a little bit. I'll come over in just a second. Okay, so culturally... In Bible times, when this was written, the Jews truly believed that your left hand was your unclean hand 
and your right hand was your clean hand. And so the things that they would perform that were unclean, they would perform that with their left hand. I know it's gross, TMI, but things like wiping your butt were done with left hands. But things that were deemed clean and had to be clean were done with your right hand. So shaking hands was done with right hands because you didn't want to culturally touch somebody else with your unclean hand because that was a big no-no. And so on reverse, we wouldn't want somebody touching us with their unclean hands. Now think about it. Do you want somebody touching you with a hand you know that they wipe their butt with? Not really. Not really. And on the reverse, are you excited to touch somebody with your hand that you wiped your butt with? Nope. Exactly. So culturally, this was important. And back then, they didn't have running hot water and pump Don's dish soap to wash their hands. So an unclean hand and a clean hand was very important. So culturally, if I were only going to touch you with my clean hand, how would I slap you on your right cheek? Backhand. Backhand. That is the only way that I can slap him. Thank you. You can sit down. It's important to visualize that. So Matthew 39 says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. So what you are doing by turning your cheek is you are basically saying, so also a backhand was kind of a deemed as a position of authority. They were basically trying to show you, hey, I am superior to you. I am in charge of you. I am the boss right now. So if you were to turn to them, your left cheek, basically what you're doing is saying, slap me with your unclean hand. You want to do this? Slap me with your unclean hand. So culturally, when we read this in America, we read it as just be a pacifist. Let them slap your other cheek also. But culturally to the Jews, it was very different because basically what you were saying is you were putting that person into a very interesting predicament. You were not backing or you weren't backing down. You weren't causing violence, but you were putting them into a position where they then would have to slap you with their unclean hand, which was a big no-no. You're challenging them. It's not passive. It's definitely not aggressive, but it's creative. And so culturally, this one sentence, and it's a, a super, I know we talked about poop a lot, way more than I like to talk about from a pulpit, but the importance of what it meant to the Israelites back then is starkly different than what it means to us. Because if I were to slap Jack on his right cheek, I would just slap him with my left hand and it wouldn't be a big deal, no, no whatever. But if we look at the cultural significance, we then read one single sentence and we apply it to our faith completely differently than they would have back then. And so that's where hermeneutics is important. That's where studying the Bible correctly comes into play. And that's where exegesis comes into play. So how many of you guys are familiar with the Lord of the Rings movies? A couple of you guys. So in this movie, you've got the hobbits and then you've got Gandalf. And in the movie, and, and hobbits are like significantly smaller than the wizards are, okay? But the actors are almost the exact same size. In real life, they're very similar in size, which Eliza Wood is a little bit short, but not miniature compared to Gandalf. So what they do and what they did was they caused forced perspective. And so they forced the viewer to view it from one perspective 
so that it looked like Elijah Wood was a lot smaller than he really is. But if you were to look at this exact scene from a different angle, go ahead and... Wow, that is blurry on this picture. But you can see he's sitting way far back, and he's sitting way far forward. Go ahead and go back, or go to the next slide, actually. Oh, go back, sorry. Go back one more. My bad. So this piece of wood right here is actually attached to him, and he's actually sitting with a gap right here. So it looks like he's sitting resting against this piece of wood, even though he's not. So go ahead and go to the next page again. I don't know if you can see it from there, but you can see there's no wood right here. There's piece of wood right here, and then there's Elijah wood right here. So it forces the perspective. So the same thing happens. Go ahead and go to the next slide. There's sidewalk chalk art. From here, from this angle, it looks really cool. It looks like he's standing on the edge of the world. It actually looks really sweet. But then when you approach it from the side, it just looks like a stretched out earth. It doesn't make any sense. If you were looking at this scene from this side and you didn't understand forced perspective, this looks weird. And if you were staying from this side and you don't understand forced perspective, it looks like there's a ball standing on top of the sidewalk. That's what sidewalk chalk art does. The idea is to force someone's perspective. And so, again, going back to our terminology, this is where exegesis and hermeneutics is important because hermeneutics and exegesis is we're going to look at it this way and we're going to look at it this way and we're going to find the perspective that the original author intended. This guy, the author of this, wants us to view this from this perspective. He doesn't want us to view it from that perspective. That's where hermeneutics and exegesis is extremely important. So exegesis is viewing it this way. Eisegesis would be viewing it that way. That makes sense? A little bit. So, if you guys want to turn in your Bibles, we are in Philippians 2, still. We're finishing it off. And then next week we will be in Philippians 3. So we're going to go back and read uh, a little bit of the scripture, starting in verse 9 from last week, so that we can get a bigger picture for what this week says. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all of other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Dear friends, you always follow my instruction when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life then. On the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. You can go to the scripture, dude. Thank you. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice and I will share your joy. Now I want to go to this specific verse in verse 14. See it right here, starting right here. 
Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people holding firm to the word. It is because of Christ that we are a light in this crooked world. It is simply because of Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, we are no different than anybody else. And in reality, even with Jesus, we are no different, but we are redeemed. We are saved. We are made better because of Jesus, but it is because of Jesus, not because of our own actions. And so when we see the world, so we're talking perspective again, when we see the world through the lens of Scripture, everything in our entire lives should be easier for us to handle. When we view the world through Jesus, when we first filter what we see, our interpretation of the world around us, when we put a filter of Jesus on first, everything makes more sense to us. But when we do the opposite and we take our focus off of Jesus, those truths quickly fall away and everything gets hard and we start to complain. We start to to rebel. We start to, to throw fits. We start to bicker. We start to fight. We start to see each other as enemies. We start to see the worst in people rather than the best in people. We start to see the, the ugly in them rather than the redeemed in them. We start to see who they are without Jesus rather than seeing the hope in that their life could be so much better with Jesus. We start to look at things wrong. We start to look at how hard our life is. We start to look at how hard school is. We start to complain about basketball practice. We start to complain about the things that just kind of suck in this life. We get so focused on those things. When we forget to view the world through the lens of Jesus, we get so focused on the hard and the negative that we completely lose sight of what Jesus is doing in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Now, I want to come clean here. This is something I tend to struggle with. I complain. Jordan can attest, man, I am a complainer. So often I focus even on nights like this where I have so many of you guys that I love and I care for and I'm so excited to see here. Oftentimes my mind immediately goes to, oh, well, Retta's not here. Oh, this person's not here. And I start thinking about who's not here rather than who is here. I'm so focused on the, the, the negative. I'm so focused on what could be wrong. I'm so focused on, oh, I wonder why they're missing. I wonder what's going on in their life. I get so focused on the negative that I completely lose sight of who is here. I lose sight of the good in front of me. I lose sight of those in front of me who can, uh, who both I can benefit their life and they can benefit my life from being here. And I can tell you that from years of complaining, both as a Christian and for years before I became a Christian, that complaining has never once made my life better. It has never once made me feel better. It's never once fixed my problems. In fact, I would say that every time I complained, all it did was work me up more, as well as whoever the person was that I was complaining to worked them up too. So then now, even though they were in a good mood, me complaining to them, me venting to them, cause them to be in a bad mood because now they're focused on the negative. Like I said, I'm good at this. I'm good at complaining. I'm good at seeing the negative. But as someone who is really good at seeing the negative, I can tell you that it has done nothing to benefit my life. So 
in order to see what God is doing in your life, in order to see what God's plan is for your life, you have to take the veil of your own desires, your own will, your own comfort, your own pleasures, your own agenda, and you have to take that and put it aside, and you first have to focus on Jesus Christ. Because if we're so focused on our problems, our agenda, our comforts, we can't read even this scripture accurately because we're coming into it with, how is this scripture going to fix my life? How is this scripture going to make me feel better? How does this scripture make me a better Christian? How does this scripture make me? But when we come to this scripture and we say, hey, what does this scripture mean to God? What does this scripture mean about Jesus? We can then apply it to our lives more accurately. But when we approach it with our own agenda, we aren't going to read it correctly. Because when we keep eternity in mind, we keep what's next in mind. We keep the life that we will have after this life in mind. It becomes real hard to find things to complain about. Man, we're going to be in heaven. Literally, there's going to be no pain There's going to be abundance. There's going to be peace. There's going to be joy. There's going to be worshiping God. We get to be in the presence of God. How big of a deal was it that wrestling practice went a little long? How big of a deal is it that I kind of struggled in passing my test? How big of a deal is it that work kind of sucked today? Verse 17 says, but I will rejoice. Go ahead and go to the next slide. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful servant is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice and I will share your joy. Because Paul is telling us, if we look at this scripture, in proper exegesis, Paul is saying that, even in death, even in in the risk of dying, we should be keeping Jesus Christ as our focus. Because ultimately, no matter what happens in our lives, good or bad, Christ is still on His throne. And as long as Christ is on His throne, as long as Jesus is King, as long as Jesus is our Lord, as long as Jesus is our Savior, that's the best news And that's all that really matters to us as Christians. Because if you died tomorrow, this life as a Christian is the closest you will have ever gotten to hell. But for your friends around you that don't know Jesus, this life was the closest that they'll get to heaven. And so when we focus on that perspective, it changes us. So in 2018, um, there was a false signal, false text message alert that went out to everybody in Hawaii. And basically it said, danger imminent, uh, nuclear disaster coming. You guys, there's going to be here in 10 minutes. You guys have 10 minutes to live, basically. Went out to the entire island. And there's some celebrities that have shared their story. There's some civilians that have shared their story. And a lot of them said that in that moment, it changed their lives completely changed the way they think about everything. 
Because in that moment, it didn't matter what job they had. It didn't matter what they, how hard work was that day. It didn't matter what the weather was like. It didn't matter the fight that they had gotten in with their dad. It didn't matter. None of those things of this life, none of those hardships mattered to them. In that moment, they all said they almost, almost exclusively experienced the same thing. Almost a sense of peace because there was nothing really that they could do about it. There was nothing they could do to change the, the nuclear impact that was getting ready to come. And so there was just consequences. Some people made right with God. Some people just enjoyed the last few minutes they had on this earth before they got ready to get to heaven. But in that moment, I can assure you that those who have Jesus probably had a very different viewpoint than those who didn't. And so learning from that experience, and it was like 20, 30 minutes went by, and then finally alert went out and said, oops, uh, that was an accident. It was supposed to be a test, not an unalert. And so at that moment, people's lives, you would think, oh, okay, hustle and bustle, continue. Almost everybody reports that like everybody just went home, spent it with their loved ones, went to the things that actually matter in life. I hope that we can approach life the same way that those guys did following that experience. As Christians, we should. Because we know what comes next. We, we know what comes after this life. If you guys, if everybody in this room died tonight, bro, we're getting into heaven. We get to see Jesus. The things, the, the goals that you had in this life, guarantee you will no longer matter. The projects you were working on will no longer matter. Unfortunately, the only thing that will really matter is when we look around at the people who didn't get to come to heaven with us. The loved ones we had, the people that were close to us, the friends we never shared about. And here's where the Christian perspective comes into play. And here's where it's so important for us to look at our life through the lens of Jesus versus looking at the Bible through the lens of our own pride and our own selfishness. Because when we so desperately as Christians try to hold on to our lives and we try to control what we're going to do, when we try to control what job we're going to have, when we try to control our grades, we try to control our comfort level, we try to control, when we try to be in absolute control, that's when we lose everything. That's when everything falls out of reach. That's when that dream job is no longer applicable. That's when hardship tends to happen because we lose focus. And I'm not saying God's going to punish you because you lost your focus or anything. Like, don't, don't hear that. But hear my words that as Christians, our perspective is so much better when we keep Christ first. Now, here's the hard part. As Christians, we always say, yeah, Jesus is first in my life. Yeah, I put Jesus number one. And so here's the, the, the typical Christianese answer is, yeah, Jesus is number one, myself two, family three, then maybe my job, then money, you know, then, um, you know, my, my hobbies, then, you know, my wrestling, then football, then basketball, then rodeo, whatever it is, we, we put those things down here. We say, yeah, that's the order of the importance in my life. We, we, we are good at lying to ourselves and telling us and telling ourselves that we actually believe that. But then with our actions, we live our life like basketball is number one. Wrestling is number one. Rodeo is number one. Job is number one. Money is number one. School is number one. 
My job is number one. Even sometimes as a family man, my family comes number one. And then my job, and then this, and then this. And then down here, I fit Jesus into my life. And I, and I, I throw Jesus into the rest of where he fits in in between. But as Christians, we've lied to ourselves and we told ourselves that Jesus is number one because we know that he should be. But in our practice, in our beliefs, in our, the way we behave, in the way that we talk to our loved ones, Jesus is clear down here. And when that happens, what's happening is you are looking at the Bible through your own desires. You're, you're treating Jesus. You're filtering Jesus through your desires first. You're saying, I want these things, and Jesus can fit in where he does. And so it becomes hard as Christians. And I'm telling you, that's like I said, I, I complain a lot, and so I, I'm guilty of this. I'm not saying this is a like all of us struggle with this. Don't think any one person in here is good at it. As your pastor, I'm telling you, I struggle with this same thing. I tell myself Jesus is first, but I put my son first a lot. The world would tell you, okay, that's, that's good for a dad to do. No. In order to be a good dad, I have to keep Jesus first. In order to be a good wrestler, you have to keep Jesus first. In order to be a good teammate, you have to keep Jesus first. Because without Jesus, you're a crappy teammate. You're a selfish player. Your attitude is going to suck. Your mentality towards things in this life are going to suck. Your, your attitude towards your coworkers is going to be rough. This first time somebody accidentally punches you in the face or purposely punches you in the face, immediately we'll go into retaliation mode. We'll go into, I want to beat this guy up mode. We go into, I want this guy kicked off the team mode. But is that how Jesus would respond? Is that how someone who loves that guy would respond? When your coworker undermines you and steals your job, we immediately go into how can I make his life hell or her life hell? Man, when your classmates, even with other people in Chi Alpha, do something that ticks you off, we immediately go into how can I get back to him or how can I fix them? But that's not what Jesus calls us to do. Because when we put Jesus Christ first in our lives, it becomes clear that there's no place in our lives for complaining and grumbling and gossiping. And so here's where this all kind of culminates, okay? Israelites leave, G leave Egypt, okay? They left hard labor, slavery, horrible conditions. Within 40 days, completely <coughs> forgot what life was like before and immediately start complaining and complaining and grumbling and complaining, and they whine, and they start saying things like, we had it better in slavery. Nobody had it better in slavery. And so the Israelites lost the chance to inherit the promised land. They were delivered out of Egypt, delivered out of slavery with miraculous circumstances that they visually saw with their eyes, and they still didn't get to inherit the promised land because they couldn't get over their own agenda, their own comfort, their own issues long enough to get even get to the promised land. They were so focused on the world. They were so focused on the things of their experiences in that moment that they complained, they grumbled, they threw fits, they said things that weren't true. They lost sight of who God is. 
and didn't get to inherit the promised land. And so if that happened to the Israelites, I feel pretty confident that it's quite possible that you, me, we could be on the verge of a big breakthrough in our lives. But we're so caught up complaining and grumbling and whining and moaning. and Our attitude is such garbage that maybe we've completely lost sight of the greatness of God. We've lost sight of the goodness of Jesus. And that breakthrough could be right on the verge and we just need to shift our attitude. Just remember how good Jesus is. Remember how much Jesus loves Jack. Remember how much Jesus loves Porter. How much Jesus loves Abigail. Remember the people around us, Christ loves just as much as he loves us. And if we shift our focus to the things that are good and we shift our focus to the things of Jesus, we will begin to see the light. We'll begin to see the goodness. We'll begin to see the, the, the light on the horizon. We'll stop focusing on the garbage long enough to inherit that next thing that is on the verge for us. Because ultimately, and here's where this hits home for me, because ultimately in my life and in Chi Alpha and your guys' lives, we should want my life to be a place of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And if my life is so full of that stuff, there's no place for grumbling. There's no place for complaining. There's no place for fighting. Let's pray. Lord, help us to keep our focus on you. Help us to remember why, we, why we're even here. Help us to remember the good in this life. Help us to see the good in those around us. Help us to see what you see in people, Lord. Help us to be a ministry of, of true sight. And we're not seeing what the world has done to people. We're not seeing what the world has made into people, but Lord, help us to see what you see in those around us. Help us to see what you see in the situation that is before us. Help us to see what you see in our lives and in our futures and in our goals and our dreams and the things that we're doing in our sports. Help us to be a ministry that sees love. Help us to be a ministry that sees joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and help us to emulate the fruit of the Spirit. Help us to be a body given over to you. Amen. And so, this week, if you find yourself complaining, you find yourself grumbling, you find yourself focusing on the negative, remember to take a step back. Take a step back and shift your focus. Take a step back and spend some time with God. Take a step back and remember. Can you go back to the other scripture? Remember the importance that Jesus has in our lives and remember how powerful Christ is. This is interesting because it says that in, at that time, the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To us, this moment, as Christians, we see this as a powerful, awesome moment. 
Because we bow to Jesus because of who he is. We bow to Jesus because of how great he is. We bow to Jesus because how much he loves us. We bow to him because of what he did on the cross for us. We bow to him because of who he is and what he has done. We bow to him because we know that he is God. We know that he is control. We know that he is good. And we know that he is working our entire lives for the betterment of ourselves as well as to bring him glory. And for Christians, that's awesome. But it says, every knee will bow. And to some others, it's going to be forced. To some others, they're not going to have a choice. But every knee will bow. And so it's so important for us to see the good in others. It's so important for us to see the good and the potential in those around us rather than seeing what is bad about them. Because let's be honest, every one of us is kind of a crappy person. We're very selfish. Every one of us has our own desires. Every one of us. If you had a, a pile of $10 million sitting right here, and somebody you don't know sitting right here, and you can choose the pile of $30 million or guarantee this person becomes a Christian, every one of us will at least think about that $30 million for a second. Tell me you wouldn't. But we know, if we know what we know, what we know about Jesus, we know that that $30 million is going to pass. And we know that this person getting into heaven is a far bigger deal. And so if we can keep that the focus, if we can keep those around us and the positive and what Jesus is doing in our lives, you'll start to realize that a lot of the things in your life that suck, they're going to start going away. And it's not because your life gets easier. It's not because all of a sudden God's like, oh, Jack is focused on shredding the shredding, spreading the gospel. Now I'm going to make all of his paths straight. No, it's that Jack will be so focused on the good and so focused on loving others that he won't see the garbage in his life. He won't see the hardships. He won't see the things that suck because he's so focused on the good. And so what I'm saying, if I'm saying anything today is shifting your focus and looking at the good and focusing on the good and bringing the good into your life by focusing on Jesus it's going to make your life a lot, a lot better. So this week, as you guys go, ask yourselves, what can change in my life? We're not going to say what needs to change. We're not going to see what you have to change. We're going to say, what can? What can I change in my life to make sure Jesus is first? And if you find yourself grumbling and complaining, just take a step back. Try to focus on the good. Shift your focus onto Jesus. Shift your focus onto the positive things. And try to keep the two greatest commands that Jesus tells us to. Love God. Love your neighbor. As long as you do those two things, as long as you love God, and as long as you love your neighbor, man, all of that hardship is going to start to pass. And not because it's going to be easier, because you're focused on good things. Love God. Love your neighbor. Amen.